0: So, Shale, what do you feel like talking about today? Bill Cosby or Brett Kavanaugh?
1: Oh, I have uh, zero interest in talking about Bill Cosby.
0: (laughs) I have a coin right here, so I guess I shouldn't flip it?
1: No, absolutely (laughs) not.
0: Well, it wouldn't matter what side it landed on because I wouldn't want to talk about Cosby either. We are going to indeed talk about Judge Kavanaugh and his track record on energy and environmental issues. First, though... I know a company that can help make your commercial solar project happen, and I promise you won't have to flip a coin or rely on chance. Pure skill over there. Shale, I'm going to give you one chance to guess the company I'm talking about.
1: I'm going to guess it's Wonder Capital.
0: (laughs) That's right. Wonder Capital is rapidly becoming one of the most important companies in commercial solar. It's secret sauce, software. Wonder's platform makes it easier to find investors for your project. According to the rankings from our research team, Wonder is now the leading financier of US commercial solar. Find out how to make your project happen at wondercapital.com/gtm. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com/gtm. We're also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, the leading balance of system provider for solar and storage. Shoals has been making the best equipment, American made equipment, for solar power plants since the 90s. Find out more at Shoals.com. That's S H O A L S, -S 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 Shoals.com. This is The Interchange, conversations about the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey. Welcome. Shale Khan's my co-host. He's the Senior VP of Research and Strategy at the venture firm Energy Impact Partners. Hey, Shale.
1: Hello, Stephen.
0: How are you? Welcome back from your trip to Tanzania. You returned to quite a political firestorm.
1: I did, and I managed not to read the news for the full two weeks that I was gone. So, I, you know, it was interesting. I got back and, like, expected to that there would be a ton going on, and I would have missed so much. And then, like, I read all the news for the previous couple weeks, and it just was, like, more of what had been happening for the past three years. So I actually didn't feel like I missed that much.
0: Right, right. You can catch up to speed pretty quickly. It is just more of the same. But it is... Craziness, And um, we're going to tap into some of that craziness because on Thursday, Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, is going to publicly face questions from Congress about alleged sexual assault. This is not the hearing he expected. This is not the hearing any of us expected until like a week ago. Supreme Court nomination hearings can be feisty, of course, but they're usually not must-watch TV events. Usually it's the political diehards who have an interest in them. But a new poll out from PBS and NPR this morning shows that 58% of Americans will be paying attention to this week's confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, uh, who again is accused by two women of sexual assault. Um, But that's not what we're going to be talking about. It's just the context for why we're having this conversation. Since so many people are fixated on this story, we decided it's a good opportunity to once again discuss Kavanaugh's extensive record on the environment. Uh, We had a conversation about it on our other podcast. Uh, We've yet to talk about it here. So this is as good a time as any to do that. Now, I recognize this is a bit risky since we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Who knows what could happen between now and Thursday, but we're venturing into the topic nonetheless, because if confirmed... Kavanaugh will undoubtedly reshape the legal landscape for energy and environmental issues. So we need an expert and we got a good one. We are joined by Michael Wara, Director of the Climate and Energy Program at the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment. Michael is familiar with some cases that Kavanaugh has heard as a circuit judge, and he's going to help us understand Kavanaugh's judicial philosophy. Michael, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure to be on. I love your podcast, both The Energy Gang and The Interchange, so it's a real treat to get to talk with you.
0: Thank you so much. Well, we're, we're looking forward to this conversation because we need a little
1: help. So Shale, where do you want to start? Well, I think broadly, there's a couple of things that we want to talk about. The first is we all want to look backward, and we want to sort of find any um, major decisions that Judge Kavanaugh has been a part of that pertain to energy and the environment, and then, you know, see what he decided, what his um, writing suggests about how he thinks about those issues, um, how he thinks about regulation, things like that. So we want to look at what he has done, his track record. And then I think we want to talk about what that might mean if he's confirmed for the future of energy and environmental decisions on the Supreme Court, what might come down the pike over the next you know, 5, 10 years, um, and how might it be impacted by having somebody like Kavanaugh on the court. So I think let's start with the history. Michael, when we talked before, you said that there are at least a couple of decisions that Judge Kavanaugh has been a part of um, that have been pertinent to energy and environmental issues. Um, Let's start with the multi-state Knox and Sox cap-and-trade ruling. Can you walk us through briefly what that case was all about and what Judge Kavanaugh said about it?
2: Absolutely. So the case concerned efforts by EPA to deal with regional air pollution problems, problems that you know couldn't be resolved by um, regulating within a state because the air pollution that was causing um, unhealthy air was drifting over from a neighboring state. And that's been a long-term problem in the United States, mostly caused, not entirely, but mostly caused by uh, coal-fired electric power plants. It, early on, we had the acid rain trading program. That was a... a An amendment to the Clean Air Act that Congress passed, and more recently, we've had a series of regulations from the EPA using a part of the Clean Air Act called the Good Neighbor Provision, which is kind of like the nuisance law of the Clean Air Act. Right? It says you can't do anything in your air that's going to cause problems in my air, basically, in the the most in the simplest terms. And um, Judge Kavanaugh reached a decision. in his review of one of these attempts to resolve this regional clean air problem that really through the through the program into disarray um, the the program has had a lot of problems with judicial review at the DC Circuit but Judge Kavanaugh's decision was particularly striking in that it essentially flew in the face of um, the expert testimony that had been given about how to solve uh, the essentially the mathematics the, the basic science of the air pollution problem. And it largely ignored the, uh, potential air pollution benefits like the public health benefits of the rule. Um, and it was a striking statement, uh, I think of kind of a lack of, uh, what lawyers would call judicial deference to an agency. But, but what I would more simply explain as, you know, it uh, uh, unwillingness to 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 listen to the experts at the agency over um, you know his own viewpoint, um, which of course in court is going to be shaped by advocates right it 's going to be shaped by uh, experts on both sides, right the environmental groups and industry with ePA usually in the middle somewhere
0: so the Supreme Court ended up rejecting that ruling. But um, in her dissent, Ju- Judge Judith Rogers basically bluntly said that Kavanaugh's ruling rewrites a decades-old statute. What did she mean by that?
2: Kavanaugh, in his, in his decision-making, and this case is an example of, of, of this, has demonstrated a repeated willingness to be a conservative radical in the way that he interprets what we thought were well-understood pieces of the major environmental statutes. In this case, he dramatically limited EPA's ability, or if, if his decision had been upheld by the Supreme Court, he would have dramatically limited EPA's ability to regulate regional air pollution. And I think done so in a way that also, and and, and I should say, I I was a participant in the appeal to the Supreme Court. I wrote an amicus brief for engineers and uh, economists that work on the grid. Um, you know, he, he would have basically pushed EPA into a box um, regulating the power sector that was fundamentally inconsistent with the high voltage transmission network and the way that markets price power.
1: So that sort of sounds to me like what I what I think of as, as relatively standard Conservative judicial thinking, which is you've got some legislation that provides some authority to an agency, the consu- conservative uh, members of the judiciary would tend to interpret it sort of strictly and narrowly, so as not to offer too much wide power to the agency, to you know, to expand the regulatory state, as they might put it, um, whereas. The agency itself probably wants to interpret it as broadly as possible to provide itself as much um, capacity to to accomplish things as it can do. So, w- am I wrong in that framing of it? And if if not, then what makes this radical as opposed to just sort of run of the mill conservative?
2: Well, you know, part of what makes it radical is that um, is, is respect for precedent um, the in two two different ways. First, the first way is that this whole issue of how to interpret the good neighbor provision of the Clean Air Act has been heavily litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court, and this issue had never been identified by any court, any 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 panel of the D.C. Circuit or the Supreme Court as a problem. And EPA has proposed and actually implemented numerous rules using the Clean Air, uh, the good neighbor provision. Sorry, EPA has actually proposed and implemented numerous rules that rely on this interpretation of the good neighbor provision. So it was upsetting what everyone in the clean air community viewed as settled law. In addition, it reflects a broader theme in Kavanaugh's judicial decision making, which is this sort of reliance on his own judgment in lieu of experts to narrow the uh, authority that agencies have. Now, on the one hand, That's not radical, maybe. That's maybe what you expect from conservative judges and justices. Um, On the other hand, I think it does reflect uh, a view that Kavanaugh and a number of other judges, justices as well, Gorsuch has um, articulated this viewpoint, have that what is probably the most settled precedent in U.S. administrative law, the law of how agencies work, it's a case called Chevron versus NRDC, needs to be significantly modified. Um, and Kavanaugh has, again, not hidden the ball on this. He is being very, this is one of the things about which he is quite straightforward. He wants to modify Chevron in a way that would reduce the degree to which judges defer when there are questions of, of how to interpret a law that Congress has made. The way things work now, if they and, and and have worked since nineteen eighty four, when the Supreme Court decided Chevron, and really for a while before then as well, is that if a statute is clear, then the courts get to decide. If it's ambiguous or if the application of a statute to a new problem creates ambiguities, then courts are supposed to defer to agencies because they have more expertise about the facts, about about the complexities of a particular problem and that's the balance that the supreme court struck uh in the 1980s dealing with actually an air pollution problem related to refineries and that's been the law of the land for decades kavanaugh is essentially saying and and i should say it's it's perhaps the most cited case it definitely is the most cited case in anything having to do with administrative law in the united states that is as settled a precedent as you can get uh and Kavanaugh is essentially saying, I don't like it. I think agencies are getting away with too much, and I want to um, really move in the direction of an older body of law where courts get to decide. They get to call uh, – they get to, to borrow Judge Roberts' phrase, right? They, they get to call balls and strikes as opposed to on these technical issues, letting the agency do that right and 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 reserving their judgment to situations where the agency has clearly done something that is um inconsistent with the law that congress wrote down absolutely um i think you know were chevron the chevron precedent and lawyers are taught to call it chevron deference right this 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 deferring to agencies, listening to the agency's viewpoint when the situation is not clear, um, is, were that precedent to be modified, it would be a fundamental change in how our government works and and not just courts, right? How agencies work. And um, I think, you know, it's clear that Kavanaugh, you know, feels that agencies are sort of, have, have overreached. And he doesn't just feel that, when it's environmental groups and the EPA trying to protect public health, right? There are other cases wh- where uh, the he has shown where there are other cases where he has shown a willingness to overturn uh, agency rules that are supported by industry even, when he feels that a narrower reading of the statute can allow for later text regulation.
1: So you mentioned initially another more recent ruling that he made as well um, that has to do with the Montreal Protocol, which was the, the uh, legislation enacted to combat the ozone hole a while back, largely viewed as a success. What was his involvement in that, and what you know, was it a similar um, type of
2: decision? It was very consistent with this line of reasoning that he's shown. The case involved the part of the Clean Air Act that implements the treaty, the Montreal Protocol that you mentioned, um, under U.S. law, right? So U.S. when the U.S. signs a treaty, we usually have to then, Congress has to enact a law that will actually implement the treaty's provisions under U.S. law so that the U.S. comes into compliance. One of the ways we do that is with something called the Significant New Alternatives Program, the SNAP program, under the Clean Air Act. And it basically is a way for EPA to say, don't use... This kind of super polluting gas for some purpose, air conditioners or, uh, refrigerants, use this other gas, an alternative, right? That is been shown to be cost effective and effective as a refrigerant and not to, and to harm the ozone layer less. For decades, right? The Montreal Protocol is 30 years old. For decades, EPA has used SNAP regulations to phase out particular gases, and phase in new substitutes as they became available. And in this case, um, which was very recently decided by the DC Circuit, you had environmental groups and the refrigerants industry jointly propose new modifications to the SNAP regulations. So this was not, you know, the Sierra Club beating the drum, saying we need to protect the ozone layer, we need to protect climate. A lot of these ozone-destroying glasses are also super global warming gases. Um, It was a situation where industry, in collaboration with the environmental groups, jointly proposed regulation that everyone agreed was in the interests of the U.S. industry and consumers and the environment. And Judge Kavanaugh basically flipped open the dictionary and decided that substitute meant something different than what EPA had thought it meant for the last several decades, he decided that substitute means uh, essentially that you can only uh, replace something one time uh, under the SNAP program. So that if you had uh, the chlorofluorocarbon was the original really problematic ozone-destroying gas, once you replace that once, you can no longer sub in something else when, it, when an improved gas becomes available. This case really turned on. I mean, it really did turn on which dictionary Kavanaugh used to decide the definition of the word substitute, and that kind of reasoning is 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 sort of typical of the of the kind of radical textualists that that you know Kavanaugh is an example of. If you'd used um, another dictionary, right? It sort of Webster's versus the OED um, or or Webster's versus American Heritage because we're an American court we don't use the Oxford Dictionary um you know one of them had only one definition of substitute and the other had uh two definitions one of which allowed for this idea of kind of multiple substitution and the case turned on that issue as a result EPA's regulations were struck down and it means that um gases that are in the view of the main industry trade group and the environmental groups uh, really bad for the environment are going to stay in use uh, for the time being and um, and and their replacements will not become kind of industry standards that everyone can can um, build their refrigeration equipment around and and, and assuming that uh, the availability of and I think it's a, it's a bad result. It, it's a result that reflects a lack of respect for the agency, uh, a lack of respect for settled precedent. And it goes to this question of how much do you want to defer to experts when there are these ambiguities about how to resolve them?
1: So if I'm looking for common themes here about sort of what these two cases tell us about Kavanaugh's decisions on these types of issues one is what you just alluded to uh which is lack of deference to agency expertise um and desire to make decisions directly as opposed to deferring and the second is sort of using whatever tools and resources or one might say excuses are available to sort of limit the capacity of those agencies so given those two things um where does that place Kavanaugh in on the spectrum of conservative judges, you know others who are maybe part of the Federalist society like he is, and others who generally um, take a skeptical eye toward regulation and potentially toward federal agencies um, Where does that place him in in that community?
2: Well, I would say that it places him on the on the right side of that community. Um, and I don't by right. I don't mean correct. I mean uh, you know the political, uh, politically conservative side. Um, there are definitely lots of conservative judges that view conservatism as accepting or, or deferring to settled precedent. Maybe view novel interpretations of law that ex- dramatically expand agency authority as something to, to keep a close eye on are going to tend to defer to businesses over uh, consumers, perhaps, in certain types of cases. But Kavanaugh, he's sort of a creative conservative. He looks for these you know, ways to use language to depart from settled precedent. I mean, what's, what's interesting as a lawyer about these cases is how surprising they were. I I still remember reading both and 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 being frankly kind of shocked as a Clean Air Act expert about how Kavanaugh had interpreted the law. I was fully prepared to read a case from a conservative judge, um, and it didn't turn out how I liked or quite how I thought the law should be. And and sometimes that happens on the other side too. Um, but Kavanaugh has shown a willingness repeatedly to make kind of radical jumps in the way that uh, the major environmental statutes are interpreted. And so if he were appointed to the Supreme Court, I think the only reasonable thing would be to expect that his opinions would continue that trend and that we'd be in for surprises and not necessarily surprises that uh, would respect settled expectations, which is, I think, really important in the power sector. Um and not surprises that would uh, be terribly protective of the environment.
0: And, and what does that do to the balance of the court? So now the swing vote goes from Justice Kennedy to Chief Justice John Roberts. So now the court moves further to the right, and Kavanaugh is presumably on the further uh, right end of the spectrum. So what does that do to the balance of the court?
2: What it means is that... New kind of creative regulations are going to be subject to a lot more scrutiny uh, and that what we think are settled ideas, precedents, um, ways of doing things for the agency um, could become unsettled.
0: Now let's push the dominoes a little bit and think about what may happen in the coming years. So let's assume that Kavanaugh joins the Supreme Court, and then let's assume that we have a a, a Democratic president or a more moderate Republican president after Trump. Um, you know, the the progressive way of doing things is to rely on agencies and craft regulations in the absence of congressional action. In the last you know eight or ten years, the progressive strategy has been let's find ways to uh, use existing agency authority to, do, to expand uh, uh, regulations of air pollutants and climate pollution. Let's assume that we have a progressive presidency and they can't get anything done in Congress and they want to push this regulation strategy. It sounds like there are a lot more surprises to come in the courts.
2: I think that's right. I, I actually wouldn't call it a surprise. <laughs> I think the writing's on the wall Right, you know, I, that's, That strategy is not going to work Given the composition of the court If Kavanaugh is seated And frankly, it may not work uh, If anyone Additionally is seated by Trump
0: Well a very helpful conversation Michael Wara is director Of the Climate and Energy Program At the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment He joined us from Palo Alto Michael, thank you so much for your time
2: It's my pleasure, thanks for having me on
0: Shale, welcome back. Interesting conversation to set us off.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, Never a dull moment out here in energy and (laughs) climate-landia.
0: Well, this episode will go up uh, pretty soon. We'll see what happens between now and Thursday, but a very important conversation to be having um, as we look at this transition on the Supreme Court Uh, If you have comments, hit us up on Twitter at Interchange Show or hit up me and Shale. Of course, give us your comments on Apple Podcasts, hugely important for helping us find new listeners, and uh, anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. So just look us up and send a link to your friends or colleagues or anyone who might be interested in learning more about the energy transformation. I'm Stephen Lacey with Shale Khan. This is The Interchange Conversations on the Future of Energy from Green Tech Media.